Topic 18. Second Paper of 20th Century Negro Literature. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. 20th Century Negro Literature. Topic 18. Second Paper by the Rev. J. M. Cox, D.D. What progress did the American white man make in the 19th century along the line of conceding to the Negro his religious, political, and civil rights? James Monroe Cox was born in Chambers County, Alabama, February 26, 1860. While he was yet a boy, his parents moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and in the public schools of that city he received his first educational training. Having a desire to go to college and receive the best training possible for life's work, he entered Clark University. He took high rank in his studies, completing the classical course in 1884, and graduated from Gammon Theological Seminary in 1886, being the first student to receive the degree of B.D. from that institution. The year following his graduation from Gammon, he was appointed teacher of ancient languages in Philander Smith College, Little Rock, Arkansas. In the fall of 1887, he was married to Miss Hattie W. Robinson, a young woman of culture and refinement, who, after graduating from Clark University in 1885, taught two years in the public schools of Macon, Georgia. They have five interesting children, and their married life has been singularly happy and helpful. After a professorship of eleven years in Philander Smith College, he was appointed president of the institution. As president, he has served for five years, and under his administration the school has had a strong, healthy growth, until now it numbers almost five hundred students. A much-needed addition to the main building has been completed at a cost of $14,000, the faculty has been increased, and through the efforts of the students he has raised some money, which forms the nucleus of a fund for a trades school. He is a member of the Little Rock Conference of the M.E. Church, and has twice represented his brethren as delegate to the General Conference, at Omaha, Nebraska, in 1892, and at Cleveland, Ohio, in 1896. His influence over the young people committed to his care is great, and he is striving to send out strong, well-rounded Christian characters, and thus erect monuments more enduring than granite or marble. Last year, Gammon honored him with the degree of D.D. The very language of our subject assumes that the Negro is entitled to religious political, and civil rights, and limits our task to showing the extent these rights have been conceded to him by the American white man. 
In considering this, as well as other subjects that concern the race, it is well to bear in mind the fact that men make conditions and conditions also make men. The truth of this statement is strikingly demonstrated in the reactionary influence which slavery had upon the American white man. The chains that bound the Negro and made him a chattel also fettered the mind and soul of the white man and caused him to become narrow and selfish. Lincoln's proclamation gave freedom alike to slave and master, and now the progress made by each along all lines of human development will depend upon the extent he leaves behind slavery conditions and thinks on purer and higher things. Living in the past, meditating upon the time when he was owner of men and women, the white man must still be a slaveholder. If he cannot hold in subjugation human beings, he will arrogate unto himself the rights of others and use them to further his own selfish ends. The Negro also must get away from slavery conditions if he hopes ever to be a man in the truest sense of the word and have accorded him the rights of a man. Time and growth are determining factors in what is known as the Negro problem. The white man must grow out of and above his prejudice, learn to measure men by their manly and Christian virtues, rather than by the color of their skin and the texture of their hair. The Negro must devote himself to character-making, wealth-getting, and to the faithful performance of all duties that belong to him as a man and a citizen for he may only hope to receive his rights to the extent that he impresses the white man that he is worthy and deserving of them. We repeat, it will take time to accomplish these things, but when they are accomplished, rights which now the white man withholds, and which it seems he will never concede, will, like Virgil's golden branch, follow of their own accord. Viewing the subject in the light of the above-stated facts, we believe that much progress was made by the American white man in the nineteenth century along the line of conceding to the Negro his religious, political, and civil rights. In fact, the progress made in this direction stands without a parallel in the annals of history. It surpasses the most sanguine expectation of the Negro's friends, and even of the Negro himself. Although the white man is not entirely rid of his prejudice in religion, and the color line is written over the entrance to many of his temples of worship, yet he recognizes the Negro as a man and a brother, and accords to him religious rights and privileges. The Negro worships God according to the dictates of his own conscience, and the laws of the land protect him in this worship. He is a potent factor in all religious and reformatory movements, and works side by side with his brother in white for the overthrow of vice and sin, and for the hastening of the time when man and nations shall live and act in harmony with the principles of the Christian religion. 
he sits in the councils of the leading denominations of the country and assists in making their laws and determining their polity he is accorded a place on the programs of the different young people's gatherings and is listened to with the same attention which other speakers receive he bears fraternal greetings from his to white denominations and is courteously received and royally entertained in international assemblies and ecumenical conferences he enjoys every right and receives the same attention that others enjoy and receive but this progress is further evidenced by the profound interest manifested by the white man in the negro's religious and moral development and by the strong pleas on the part of the nation's best and ablest men for the complete obliteration of the color line in religion and for dealing with the negro as with any other man millions of dollars have been given for the building of churches and schools and hundreds of noblemen and women have toiled and suffered that the negro might be elevated the bishops of the methodist episcopal church representing two and a half million members said in their address to the general conference at omaha in eighteen ninety two we have always affirmed them the negroes to be our brothers of the same blood and stock of all the races which compose one common humanity as such we have claimed for them the same rights and privileges which belong to all other branches of the common family his political rights he who but yesterday was a slave is now a citizen clothed with the elective franchise this is marvelous and all the more so because the ballot is a wonderful force it is the ground element of our American civilization. In its exercise, the poor man counts as much as the rich, the ignorant as much as the learned, and the black as much as the white. Indeed, the free and untrammeled use of the ballot makes its possessor a veritable sovereign and gives him power over men and their possessions opinion is divided as to the wisdom of giving the negro citizenship at the time it was given him we think no mistake was made it came at the time the negro needed it most it was the weapon with which he defended himself when he had but few friends the negro has not been a failure in politics the very leaders who urge our young men to let alone politics will on the other hand point out bruce douglas pinchback and others as the most worthy and conspicuous characters of the race that a reaction has set in and the negro is being deprived of the ballot should occasion no alarm and little surprise the grandfather clause in the different state constitutions will serve as a check to the white man's progress along educational lines but a spur to urge us on these seeming setbacks in the concession of political rights i count as progress and place it to the white man's credit 
The decision of the Supreme Court at Washington against the constitutionality of the Civil Rights Act of 1875 has had its effect, and today we find the Negro more discriminated against in his civil than in any other class of rights. Then, too, the social bugbear has had much to do with this discrimination. However, progress has been made. It has been slow, of course, because of the channel, public opinion, through which it has been compelled to come. In many sections of the country, the Negro enjoys the most of his civil rights. He is admitted to the hotels, theaters, and other public places, and on public conveyances he is furnished fair accommodations. We believe in the ultimate triumph of right. Let us be patient. There is a disposition on the part of the better class of white people to do the fair and just thing by the Negro. This class will continue to increase, and some day the Negro will enjoy all of his rights, and our fair country will indeed be the land of the free as well as the home of the brave. End of Topic 18 Second paper.